One day, my, my 13 years old daughter asked me, Papa, why do you always talk about eternity every time you mention Jesus? Did Jesus only come to take us to heaven? That was her question. Is Jesus relevant to people who still have a life to enjoy on earth? Or it's all about the life after this life? Her question made me think. And I realized that we often link Jesus to the life after this life. Every time we talk about Jesus, we try to link him to the life in heaven. There is nothing wrong about that. But he said in John chapter 10 verse 10, that he has come to give us life and life in abundance. One can argue that Jesus came to give us abundant life here on earth and eternal life now and forever. Jesus came to give us abundant life now, not after this life, but in this life. It means when Jesus comes into your life, you instantly receive eternal life. It comes to you automatically. The same day you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in you. And he comes with a package. He doesn't just come as a person to live in you. He comes with a package that only him can deliver. The Holy Spirit comes with a gift that only him can deliver. He can't give it to someone else to bring it to you. It's only him can deliver that. And that package is full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The seed of joy, the seed of peace, the seed of, of love, and all other aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is in every person who has decided to follow Jesus. Every person who have decided to follow Jesus received the seed for these things, for these qualities, this character trait. I'm led to claim that Christianity is designed to be the most productive, the most fulfilling, and the most impactful lifestyle. Christianity gives you all the tools you need to make the most of your life. Christianity is a lifestyle. Doing life with the Holy Spirit is what Jesus calls life to the full. When he says, I came so that you may have life to the full, he was talking about you living life with the Holy Spirit is the most fulfilling lifestyle. If you live, you walk with the Holy Spirit, you'll have the most fulfilling lifestyle. I don't know about you, I'm looking for fulfillment, not happiness. I'm looking for fulfillment. But why do we still have unfulfilled Christians? Why do we hear complaints from some Christians? How does Christianity lose its attractiveness to people on the outside? Some people will look at us and say, what are they doing? What is this? How can we get Christians to enjoy the journey? How can we make Christianity attractive? Because we know God designed it to be attractive. What is missing? That people can look at us and see, no, 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 no. I don't want to join those miserable 
weird and happy and cool people. Christianity is not a club of miserable. It's not a club on, of unhappy, weird and cool old people. It's not a club of fanatics. Christianity is the most fulfilling lifestyle for the most cool people like me. Uh, no, 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 no. Like you, like you, like you, like you. That was just my tongue just went, you know. Yeah, yeah it's you, you. Cool like you. Cool like you. The secret to living your best life is described in Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You cannot develop these character traits and be miserable. There is no way you can develop these qualities and be miserable. Miserable people struggle with self-control, with patience, with peace, or any of the quality above. You will agree with me that people who claim to be miserable, or people we know are miserable, they struggle with these things. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is also known as Christian character, or the character of Christ. Jesus lived a life full of love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. He lived, he demonstrated that kind of life. He also made provision for any of his followers to develop the same lifestyle. There is provision for that. Your best life is linked to the character of Christ. The more you think like Christ, you sound like Christ, you act like him, the more you find fulfillment in life. You may be asking, how do I get there? How do I do this? How? It sounds good, but how, how do we get there? Let's take one step at a time. Let's take one quality at a time. And the first character trait God wants to build in us is love. Love makes Christianity fulfilling. Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, in John 13, 35. If we love one another, then people will know that we really follow Jesus. Why? Because he is love. Love is attractive. Love is attractive. Every human being responds to love. Every human being responds to love. Every human being loves to be loved Every person on earth, just love them and you will see, they will respond to it. The standard to know Christians, I'm, I'm, I, I didn't say that, Jesus said it. The standard to know if you're a Christian is through love. So let's define love. Because today we're going to look at this first quality, this first character trait that makes Christianity attractive. Love is the decision to think, to speak, and act in favor of your neighbor. Listen to those three verbs. To think, to speak, and to act in favor of the object of your love. Keep that in mind. To think, 
to speak and to act in favor of the person you claim to love. Love is not just the first on the list of Christian character traits. It's also the condition to be known as a Christian. It is the most important Christian attribute, love. The Bible says that without love, all our good works are meaningless. Let me read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to 3. If I speak human or angelic languages but do not have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all have all knowledge, if I have all faith that I can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. I don't know if you have read this passage before. This passage suggests that one can heal the sick without loving them. You can heal people without loving them. One can give big money to the poor and help them get out of poverty without loving them. I, I didn't say that. The Bible says it. One can preach to multitude, preach to people, and help them come to Jesus, and most of them will go to heaven because of you, and you don't have love. You don't love them. One can motivate other people to live a better life without loving them. Have you thought of that? One can do all these good things. How is it possible? How is it possible to do good without love? In fact, it is common to do good deeds without love. It's not unusual. In fact, most of the times we do good deeds without love. Why? Because humans are naturally selfish. Most people do good works to be recognized and acknowledged. Most people do good deed with selfish motivation. They are driven by the desire to be recognized or feel good about themselves. Most people don't do just good because of the recipient of their actions or because of the object of their love. They do good so that people may know they are good people, so that people may know and say that you are a good person. If you do good to feel good about yourself, it is useless before God. Everything you do with a hidden motive to feel good about yourself or to be recognized is useless before God. Everything you do so that people may see or say that you are a good person is useless because it's for you. It's not for the recipient of your love. Hmm. Love thinks, speaks, and acts entirely in favor of its object. I will repeat this as many times as I can. You think, speak, and act in favor, entirely in favor of the recipient. Not so that you can be seen or heard. Everything you do with the intention to be acknowledged scores zero in the eyes of God. 
So the first point I will make in this message is love acts entirely for the benefit of others. Entirely. Not we share the benefits. No. This is a little bit of me, a little bit of you. No. Fully in favor of others. That is love. Otherwise, find another name for it. Call it business. Call it trade. Call it something. Exchange. Don't call it love. Love by definition does everything for the other. Not half for you and half for them. I understand why donations to charities should be declared to governments. I understand that. Government agency, agencies need to know because money has been used. Uh, non, you know, there's been a lot, a lot of corruption, corruptions with, with charities and things like that. So I understand why we should declare when we give money to charities. I understand. However, I struggle to understand why do we have to tell the world every time we donate to a cause? Why do I have to post on social media that I gave 10 million to Red Cross? Why? Why do I have to tell the whole world that I gave 1 million to bushfire victims? Why do we have to tell the world every time we give money? And I see that all the time and I ask myself, are we doing this for them or for us? So that the world would say, oh, she's a good person. She's really a nice guy. She gave one million to this cause. She's a good person and you feel good, yeah. I am a good person. Why compete on how much money you've given away? Because it feeds self. It feels I. The I do me. So check, check your heart. Check your heart. All the good things you do for people, do you want people to know that you did it? Love does for the benefit of the other, entirely. Entirely. If you give millions to the poor with a selfish motive, you score zero in God's eyes. There is nothing wrong with receiving acknowledgement or gratitude. I'm not saying it's wrong to be acknowledged. The issue lies in your intention. If you are doing good for acknowledgement, you score zero in the eyes of God. Love acts entirely for the benefits of others. Love does not seek self-interest. I, will, I need to underline this and, and make it in bold if you are taking note. Love does not seek interest, self-interest. Love gives, gives, and gives. Two. Love is manifested, is manifested to the undeserving. I think manifested is the same school, isn't it? That's how you say it too in your school. <laughs> Love is manifested to the undeserving. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, the undeserving, Christ died for us. Naturally, we love people for a reason. We say, I love you because you are a nice person. After all, you are kind and beautiful. So, I love you. You, you see how we love people? We love people on a merit-based, on a condition. 
when I went to tell my wife hi, hi, I, I, I love her, for this first time, I'm telling you, I was not going there and say, oh, I'm going to serve this girl. I'm going to give. I'm going to be there for her. It's all about her. You know, I don't want anything from you. It's all about you. All about you every day, every time. No. I was thinking, this girl, wow, how can she be mine? Ah, sorry. No, I'm now honest because now I'm trying to live for her. I, I think so. <laughs> we love people because of what they give, because of what they bring, because of how they behave, because of who they are. We just don't want to love people because they deserve our love. No, 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 no. God loved us unconditionally, but we always put conditions to love people. Christian love is a no-merit-based love. Christian love thinks, speaks, and acts in favor of a person who would never be able to repay us. God loves us while we were still sinners so that we can love others regardless of their status or behavior. We should love people regardless. People don't need to perform to earn our love, just like we don't need to perform to earn God's love. He loves you no matter what. He just does. You don't need to perform to earn his love. So you, you, might, you might say, how can I love someone who has hurt me and made my life miserable? How can I do that? Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 44 says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus is speaking. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is reversing the plan. He's saying, my love does not care what they've done to you. Just love them. Speak, think, and act in their favor regardless of what they've done to you. It's easier said than done. Yeah, I'm telling you. God, please don't bring someone to me today. That's what God does. When I preach something and the following day, I see the same situation coming to me. I'm like, who told me? Why did I say that yesterday? So God, please don't bring anyone to me today to prove this point. Bring them to them. They should know this, Lord, these people here. <laughs> Some people hate us. Some people purposely intend to harm us. Some people have hurt us in the past and they are still doing so without remorse. They don't care if we are hurt or not. Love does not ignore the presence of enemies in our life. Love does not recommend keeping our doors open, allowing the, our enemies to get in and hurt us. Love does not recommend that we pretend as if we are safe when we are not. But love commands us to bless our enemies. Love commands us not to wish them evil. Love commands us to act, to speak, and think in their favor. Love commands us never to repay evil for evil. 
It is hard, but it's possible. I, I remember a story. As you know, I have a special tie to Rwanda. I lived in Rwanda, and the greatest gift God has given to me on earth, I want to make sure, apart from Jesus, is from Rwanda. My wife is from Rwanda. The best gift God has give, ever given to me on earth is that girl. I heard a story of a lady whose family was killed during the genocide in 1994. This lady was fortunate enough to hide in the ceiling of the house, and those who attacked her family could not see her. She was a young girl then, but she was able to hear them or even see their faces. See the faces of some of those people. In 2007, some of the genocide prisoners were released. Follow me. Shockingly, one day a man came to ask for help at the NGO where this lady worked as a manager. The lady was able to identify the man as one of the people who attacked her family. She could not talk to him the first time. That day she couldn't approach him. So she rescheduled the appointment. The following week, she received him. You know what? She reminded him of the incident. But also she expressed her forgiveness. And said everything that you are looking for, I'm going to help you. Loving the undeserving is never easy. It's never easy. Loving those who would never repay us is hard. Loving those who have hurt us is nearly impossible. But Jesus set the example for us to think, speak, and act in favor of those who don't deserve our love. We still do it. Three, love is not a feeling. Love is more than a feeling can be felt, but it's more than a feeling. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Is not boastful. Is not conceited. Does not act improperly. Is not selfish. Is not provoked. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis introduces four types of love based on the four Greek words, storge, which is the family love. Philia, which is the friendship love. Eros, which is a romantic love. I told you how I went to my wife and expressed my eros. Romantic love, which is also great. Agape is unconditional love. This is the love of God. Stoge, stog, philia, and eros are often felt. You feel like you love your dad. You feel like you love your mom. You feel that you love your friends. I feel like I love my wife. I feel drawn to her. The Bible does not command followers of Jesus to feel attracted to each other. 
God, when he says love each other, is not saying I should be attracted to Doug. Oh, the Bible is not saying that we should like each other. No, we don't have to like each other. You don't have to like me. You have permission not to like me. I know some of you don't. No, most of you do. We don't have to like each other. The love of God, which is agape love, it's unconditional love. You know when you like someone, there's something about them that you just feel attracted to? Something that is nice about them? The love of God does not require something nice about the person. They may be the most annoying people on earth and still you are going to love them. That is agape love. That's what Jesus did. We were still sinners, still annoying him, still denying him, still insulting him, and he still loved us. And he's asking us to do the same. You don't have to feel attracted. You don't have to feel like you like them. Just love them. Because I loved you. When agape love is the foundation of all other loves, we look at people as God would look at them. We love people as God loves them. We love each other as Christ loved us. We love our bully boss. We love our not caring spouse. We love and love and love. When agape is the foundation of our love in marriage, we just love. When agape is our love, toward, it is the foundation of our love toward our children, we just love no matter what they say or do. We just love. Our neighbors, we love them. We love those in Russia as much as we love those in Ukraine. We love those around the world. We love these, those are near and those who are far. Love. Love is a choice to have the best attitude to the needs of others. What can I do for them? How can I respond to this? For them, not so that people may know, but no, for them. How can I respond to this need? Love is the decision to bless even when it's hurt. Love is the predisposition always to think, to speak, and act in favor of others. This makes Christianity the most fulfilling lifestyle. This makes Christianity the most impactful lifestyle. If we will love as Christ loved Always think in favor of others. Train your mind to think positively about others. Commit to wishing people well. Speak good of others. Celebrate other people's success. Celebrate. Speak in favor of others. Even when you know something damaging about a person, don't share it to undermine their progress. Even if you have an information about someone that you know, if I share this, they are dead, they are done, they are gone. Don't share it. Don't share it. Always act in favor of others. Never put sticks in other people's wheels. Sometimes we do it unknowingly. Sometimes we do it knowingly. Sometimes we do it because of what they've done to us. They've put some sticks Okay, I will just put this small one. Not as much as they did. Just a small stick. Don't make other people's life hard. 
Whenever you have the opportunity, bless. Whenever you have the opportunity, promote, encourage. Even if they've done wrong. God help me to live this kind of life. This will make Christianity attractive to the world. This will make you attractive. This will make you fulfilled, impactful. Love. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, do everything in love. Everything. Everything you do, do it in favor of others. Examine your heart. Do you do everything in love? Or life is centered around you. Everything is about what is in this for me. Every relationship you have is calculated. Everything you do is calculated. Check your heart. Examine your heart. Are you in that marriage for what you give? Do you have those friends because of what you bring? Do you worship? Do you worship in this church for what you bring? I'm not going there. So I have three things for you to do this week, if you want, if you can. Just three things. The first one is find someone who would never be able to repay you and do something for them or give them a gift without the expectation of receiving anything in return. And please don't tell anyone that you've done it. Second thing I would like you to do this week, think of someone who has hurt you and you are still hurting, you still feel that thing. And write something nice about them and read it to someone you trust. Uh, don't necessarily go to talk to that person who has hurt you. No, just read it to someone else. This is what I think about this person now. Bless them. It doesn't matter what they did to you and the pain they caused you and how miserable your life has become. Bless them. Say it. Be vocal about it this week. And the last thing I will ask you to do. Find out... If I was in America, I would use other names. But in Australia, I would use these names. Please listen. We are living in a very polarized, polarized, politically culture. Very polarized. So do this. Find out and write down three nice things you appreciate about Scott Morrison. Find out three things you appreciate and you write them down about Anthony Albanese. Both, not just the one you like. Both. If, <laughs> even if you don't like them, find them. Because the hardest thing to do these days is to speak good about politicians. It is hard when you disagree with them, you make them feel sound like devils. I watch the news and I see what people say about politicians and I'm like, can you find at least one or two things positive about them? I know these people are parents, they have children, they have wives, they have life. They, 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 they're not that evil. I don't think they are that evil. But oh, oh, And even in this church now, we believe they are evil. 
because of what we hear. So find three things you appreciate about them. And then you can extend that to other people. You can extend that to, to, to people around you and whoever you feel like you need to love. Find good, nice things to say about them.